he was talking about complexities of worldview and similar phenomena. <clears throat> and as a historian, I also remind my students to always keep in mind that life is way, way more complex than we often think about it. And so I am asked to give my presentation on worldviews and uh, reminded that I should talk about complexity and at the same time I'm given only 25 minutes to talk about it. So I have a task in front of me. So what I'm sharing with you today is actually part of my research on I ended up and I had to do research on worldview, but it is uh, kind of a branching away from my research on emergent Christianity. And it is contemporary writers, for example, like Brian McLaren and Leonard Sweet, who talk a lot about worldview. And as I was reading their uh, material, they actually prompted me to get deeper into the subject matter to see whether it is correct what they are saying it's happening. And that's how I got into it. And I, I also used James Sire's book for a number of years, and I'm still using it in my classes. So I will focus today on one segment of my finding, and that is trying to explain what worldview is and then give you this tripolar spectrum which uh, I believe will explain to us and show us graphically the complexities of the interaction between worldviews and also um, what is going on in, in, in society. So, and one of my objectives for all of you, just to let you know, in my paper, one of the objectives is also, and this is where I come close to my colleague Jeroncic, is one of the objectives is to challenge the very enterprise of why we are here today. Should we primarily be concerned with the worldview we hold, or should we primarily be concerned with what ideas we are adopting into our thinking. The more I studied about worldviews, the more I learned that a lot of people talk about worldviews, and you probably listen today to a lot of presentations, and I'm not here to criticize, I'm a historian, I just describe what I noticed. We use the term worldview, but we have different meanings of it. We really don't know what worldview is. So I'm trying to help this. I struggled with this myself. Asking questions is a part of human nature. Human beings are rational beings who cannot but keep asking questions, as, uh, especially during difficult times. Questions come in a variety of types. There are mundane questions, ordinary questions, philosophical, curious, and they are also fundamental questions. Some writers on worldviews, they use monumental instead of fundamental or perennial, ultimate, primary, basic, and so on. 
I prefer to use fundamental questions of life. A survey of literature on worldviews shows that writers either state or imply that fundamental questions of life are the foundation of worldviews. James Sire came up with seven questions in his first four editions of Universe Next Door. Only in the fifth edition he comes up with the eight questions that you see there. These are, first of all, uh, number one, what is prime reality? Second, what is external reality? By external reality he means reality in which we exist, which we can perceive through our five senses. Primary reality is reality which is beyond external reality, reality which we cannot uh, experience through our five senses. What is the nature of the human being and what happens after a person dies? These four questions correspond somewhat to what philosophers call metaphysics. Number five, how and why is it possible to know anything at all? It's epistemological nature. How do we know what is right and wrong and what is the meaning of human life and history? That is already talking about morality, values, beauty, and all of that. Now, um, I would just like to make one point. These seven questions treated something like categories because there are way more sub-questions that we can put into each of these questions because there are many so-called fundamental questions of life. Wilhelm Dilthey's thinking about worldview, quote, was nonetheless rooted in the issues of real life and what he called lived experience. Building on his theory of worldview and paralleling size, um, Sire's approach, David Nogle states in his book, human life is largely carried out in the interrogative mood. Questions about the origin, action, purpose, death, and especially the destiny of human beings are the concern of every man and woman. By nature, human mind seeks to make sense out of experience, experience, out of experience unknown and mysterious. Sire's usefulness is most evident in his identifying the fundamental questions of life. Yet, although Sire's questions sound, are sound, I'm proposing few additional questions which I believe are important and essential in our attempt to understand what worldview is and how it is formed, and which I find Sire is not covering. Uh, on the next slide, I will add these questions. So I'm not going to read the first in black. Those are Sire's questions. The questions that I'm adding are in blue. If we take a position that there is supernatural, God or gods, then we also must ask the following question. What kind of divinity are we talking about? Or what kind of God are we talking about? Could it be that we humans invent gods? That's another thing. Another question. And uh, what is the nature of external reality? I would only add 
a question, is matter eternal, undestructible, and can, can matter produce life, and so on. Uh, to number three, I would like to add, is anything about human beings immortal? And I direct this for what is soul. Do we really understand what soul is? Maybe we Seventh-day Adventists understand it a little better, but we certainly understand it differently than the other Christians. Can a creature be immortal? Can a creature that God created be immortal? What makes people act or behave the way they do? That's the question that my colleague Jeronci just provided to me this morning. He asked that question, and I think it's a legitimate, fundamental question. What happens to a person at death? Does, does death exist? Why and how is it possible to know anything at all? Where do conscience, mind, and intelligence come from? Can matter produce the same? What are the sources of knowledge? Is science the only source of valid and reliable knowledge? Where is the repository of truth? Who decides ethic norms and standards? Is it majority, the strongest, the wisest? Where is the repository of moral authority? And the same goes for spiritual authority. What is the meaning of human life? Or, or how essential is history to human beings? What is the basis upon which develop a sound philosophy of history? And here I would just like to add, I think we Seventh-day Adventists are very weak and we have not developed a sound Adventist philosophy of history, something to work on. Notice that we all have some kind of answers to these questions. A common person on the street, a highly educated person, even an illiterate person, each one of us has answers to these fundamental questions of life. Although one may not be able to articulate the answers as well as the others, but each has some kind of answers. Those answers may be true, partially true, or they may be false. But they are answers we believe are good answers to the fundamental issues of life. Scientists also have answers to the fundamental questions of life. However, we must note that all of these answers, regardless who gives them, an illiterate or a highly educated person, a religious person or a scientist. All of these answers are assumptions. They all have to be believed. Scientists will argue counter, but they are incorrect. We may have evidence for what we believe, but we cannot prove their truthfulness to the fact. We may believe they are true, but we may not be, but they may not be necessarily true. What I mean by this is, what is the meaning of life? A scientist cannot tell me scientifically what it is. Does God exist? A scientist cannot prove that God does not exist, nor I can prove that God exists. You can ask me why I believe in God. I can tell you reasons and evidence why I do, but I cannot prove that. 
This is not to say that we are promoting relativism, but to recognize that we Christians depend on God when it comes to knowing true answers to the fundamental questions of life. Some people question science's order of questioning, and I'm not particularly interested in arguing one way or the other. Um, it seems to me that regardless where we start, we all sooner or later come back to the question whether God exists. At this point, we need to ask what kind of supernatural force or being or God we are talking about. Brahman is not the same as Allah. And Allah is not the same as Yahweh. And I, in particular, use the word Yahweh instead of generic God throughout my presentation. And none of these three mentioned here are the same as Mayan God, Witzilopochtli. Therefore, Sire's order of questions should not be an issue here, since we are discussing and trying to understand the concept of worldview, how worldviews are formed, and what role worldviews play in our lives, we need to address all of the fundamental questions of life in no particular order. Starting with question one makes our discussion easier because the answer to gi we give to question one, does God exist, determines to a large degree the answers to all other questions. We cannot start and stop with one or two questions. Why? Because for our knowledge and understanding to be considered worldview, it must cover all fundamental issues of life. Worldview in its scope is comprehensive. Otherwise, it focus, if, focus and, uh, if we focus and stay with one or two questions, for example, the meaning of life. We end up with an ideology or a doctrine. For example, existentialism is an ideology. However, if an exist existentialist pursues all the fundamental issues of life, then he or she develops an existentialist worldview. It is important to remember that worldview is comprehensive in character. We should also know that worldview and philosophy are not exactly the same. The former is assumed to be a comprehensive coverage of reality with an understanding that humans are limited in achieving total and absolute knowledge of reality. Also, the development of worldview does not presume academic training. Philosophy is not necessarily comprehensive knowledge of reality and it presumes formal academic training. The, these two terms and concepts are often confused by people. How many worldviews are out there? That's another question. And common sense answer is, there are as many as how many human beings are alive. You know the common cliche. Every person has his or her own different outlook on the world. There is no point denying this common sense answer. However, if that were the case, then for all practical purposes, we should abandon the project for we would not be able to study worldviews for not all worldviews would be available for analysis. Even Sire, 
who cataloged worldviews of a col uh, and all the worldviews that he's col uh, cataloging, and all the writers who write about worldviews, they are writing about collective worldviews, not individual worldviews. And um, this is what Sire says. We have now examined seven basic worldviews. Six if we don't count nihilism, or eight if we count both forms of existentialism separately, or nine if we add and briefly mentioned animism. But who is counting? We could multiply worldviews to fit the number of conscious inhabitants of the universe at any one time. On the contrary, we could say that there is one basic worldview composed of one proposition. So this is in one of his first or second edition. In order to make a study of worldview possible, writers write about collective worldviews. Hence, Sire's cataloging and the works of all other writers. But that approach raises the question for many. As people listen, I have students who ask me, but what about me? What is the difference between individual, personal, and collective worldviews? So I'm also trying to exp explain that. The answer is found in first explaining the nature and character of worldviews. Nagel brings to our attention Dilthe's uh, work and the following observation of his own. Despite their rich diversity, worldviews retain a structural uniformity because of their grounding in the architecture of the human mind. In other words, worldviews can fluctuate internally adding and subtracting ideas, values, and actions consistently or inconsistently. He points out that when these alternative conceptual schemes are subject to comparative analysis, a typology of worldviews emerges. Only appropriate historical methods will suffice in ascertain ascertaining worldview types and their variations. Now, this is the definition that I came up with. It is largely based on Sire's definition with some improvement that I picked up from some other sources. Worldview is an a priori, and this is important because a lot of people today believe that a posteriori knowledge is more valid than a priori knowledge. And we can thank Immanuel Kant, who demonstrated that there is a priori valid knowledge. So I picked that up, and it is important to keep in mind because worldview by nature is a priori. So it's an a priori, it is an intuitive and experiential. These are three adjectives that I'm using. So worldview is a priori intuitive experiential, knowledge and understanding of reality, capital R, always capital R, that can be expressed as a story derived from a set of presuppositions, which are assumptions, which may be true, partially true, or entirely false, which we believe, consciously or subconsciously, consistently or inconsistently, we believe to be answers to fundamental questions of life. 
worldview is an a priori intuitive experiential knowledge and understanding of reality that provides the first part is what it is, now what it does. And what it does helps us to understand what it is. Which provides both an orientation of the heart, which is our emotions, our feelings, and the cognitive framework, that means faculty of reasoning, within which we live and move, act and do, and have our being, which we are and we exist. We develop the development of worldviews begins with coming up with answers to fundamental questions of life. And now we begin with Sire's question one. Is there something or someone supernatural beyond this external reality in which we exist? In other words, is there supernatural? Does God exist? If we answer with no, there is no supernatural, no divine, no God. Then the following conclusion is in place and the following process begins to take place. Conclusion is there is nothing beyond the external reality within which we exist. There is no what Sire calls primary reality. There is only one reality, whether you call it external or primary, it doesn't matter. The no answer leads to a proposition Matter is all there is, ever was, and ever will be. Richard Dawkins will argue that, Carl Sagan will argue that, and all naturalist atheists will argue that point. This is a fundamental premise which, uh, which, upon which the whole edifice is built. This becomes the fundamental premise upon which people begin to build their knowledge and understanding of reality. As far as the proponents of this position are concerned, humans are born, live, and they die. Humans alone acquire knowledge about reality through observation, experiments, science, research, and they use their own faculties of reasoning independently from any supernatural influence. There is no dreams, no visions, no, nothing of that sort. And here we come to the faculty of reason. That alone raises another set of questions. Reason implies intelligence, mind, conscience. Something matter does not have or it cannot, it can produce. And that was baffling problem that Darwin would not address. Some of his friends and contemporaries challenged him and argued that there must be something or someone, an agent beyond matter and nature who would introduce mind, intelligence, reason, and after all, life. Darwin would not budge. He would not accede to his friends, for he was afraid that would create an opening for Christians to step in with God of their own. He was materialist and he was naturalist who stubbornly held onto his natural evolutionary theory. There is a book which discusses this particular problem based on a dissertation made by David Blitz. It's an excellent book. I just discovered it approximately half a year ago. And it is amazing what he says, how, he, how Darwin struggled, and it, it took about a generation, about 40 years later. It is a British philosopher, Conville Lloyd Morgan, who 
in order to save natural evolutionary theory, came up with emergent evolutionary theory around 1900. It's a fascinating study, and I don't have time to share with you here because I'm, I have only 25 minutes, probably half of that is already gone. It is essential that we remember this fundamental premise. Matter is all there is, ever was, and ever will be. In contrast to Sire, with all due respect for his work on worldviews, instead of labeling worldviews as naturalism or atheism, because I reserve the ism designation for doctrines and ideologies, not for worldviews. I use adjectival form and I call worldviews in a following way. Naturalist, atheist, worldview. What I have just proposed. What people who say matter is all there is ever was, that is naturalist, atheist, worldview. If we answer question one with yes, there is supernatural, there is divinity, there is God, then the following conclusion follows and the following question is inevitable. First, there is reality beyond our external reality and Sire refers to it as primary reality. Now we have to draw a line between primary naturalist atheist worldview and all other worldviews because the first one does not recognize ultimate prime reality, the other one does. The other group does because there is still divisions there. Um, second, we cannot proceed further without asking what kind of supernatural divine beings are we talking about? Or maybe forces. Brahman is divine and may be considered God, but Brahman and Yahweh are not the same. Nor are Yahweh and Allah. And com comparisons between various divinities can go on and on. The yes answer leads to a proposition and conclusion. Matter is not all there is. There is an agent or agents beyond matter. This idea that matter is not all there is becomes the fundamental premise upon which we can now build our understanding and knowledge of reality. The what kind of supernatural question takes us to the next step. The fundamental differences between various divinities based on their respective sacred writings. Witnessing about each divinity is what we need to explore. For a moment, we need to place the question, where does Allah belong? We can put that aside because Allah is considered in that, uh, how should I say, in a category in one way, but there is a difference in the same category like Allah, uh, like Yahweh, but then there is again separation. Um, and I'm putting this because a lot of people ask the question, where do you put Allah? Um, so now what is interesting, we have to ask this. For now we find that in all religions of the world, all throughout history, divinities or gods are always, put Judaism, Christianity, and Islam aside, divinities are always a part of nature. Brahman is, Egyptian gods are, Greek and Roman gods are, and the gods of all religions, with the exception of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. 
Now, Sar is not alone. Other writers and worldviews also hold that when we speak of gods being a part of nature, we are talking about the so-called closed system. Since the above-mentioned primary naturalist atheist worldview does not recognize the existence of any reality beyond this reality, uh, external reality, we can and we should include the primary naturalist atheist worldview into the, uh, the, 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 uh, the closed system. By closed system, it is meant that there is no external uh, agent who can enter and reorder uh, reality. Um, however, the Bible, a collection of writings by God-inspired writers, show us, shows to us that Yahweh is a God who is outside of his creation, and he can step into the creation, and he becomes historical God. God Yahweh identifies in both ways in the scriptures. And so now, Sire and writers talk about this is open system. Now, the open system is that it meant that there is an agent from outside. Now, Yahweh is not a part of nature. He is apart from nature. And that's a distinction uh, we have to keep in mind. So, now we have three basic fundamental worldviews, and since I'm told that I have one minute, I have to better stop. Uh, I'm going to move to something visual here for you. I'm going to spend about a couple of minutes. Patience. And you'll enjoy it. The first one that I talked about, matter is all there is, ever was, and so on. That's a naturalist, atheist worldview. This is, imagine, this is a bucket here, full of pure blue color. And I'm using colors to demonstrate natural worldviews and how it operates in our lives. It dawned on me that there is a need, I kind to use this analogy. There is an infinite number of colors when we speak of pigment. And there is an infinite number of ideas. So pure blue color in one bucket. And all the description you see is those are the fundamental argument statements that naturalist atheists will tell you. That is divided now. This is a sphere to your left. That's the sphere of time and space without supernatural. On the right side, we have a sphere with time and space with supernatural. The next one is bucket with red color, which presents monist, pantheist worldview, where you have evolutionary process, materialist, but divinity is part of nature. And it comes in variety of forms, Hinduism, Buddhism, Egyptian religions, and pretty much many other indigenous religions. That's closed system. Now, if we go to scriptures alone, and we treat that as a biblical text, as a word of God, here we have now different arguments. Who is God? I call that prophetic apostolic. And now, 
we have to divide that because yellow is open system, red and blue are closed systems. Keep that in mind. These are three primary worldviews from which you can make all other different worldviews. And there can be millions of them. There are spectrums between these. And you can notice how, for example, if I take, a, now the buckets are 10 gallons, keep that in mind. If I take a spoon of yellow color, no, if I take a spoon of blue color and put it in the bucket of yellow color and mix it well and ask you, do you see the difference? You will hardly see the difference. If I add another spoon, you are not going to see the difference. But if I keep adding spoon by spoon, sooner or later, the color will change. Do you follow me? What I'm trying to teach my students is be careful what kind of ideas you adopt because it changes your worldview gradually. Worldviews can change, and they do change. We talk about conversion, and Professor Yaronchis this morning mentioned, you can answer one question differently, and you can change all other stuff as a chain changes. It's very complex. Worldviews are not something that you and I get somewhere. Worldviews are who we are individually. And we talk about collective worldviews. But don't ever fool yourself that in postmodern age, where postmodern worldview collective kind of dominates, that every postmodernist believes the same and holds the same personal worldview. Not every Seventh-day Adventist agrees with every other single Seventh-day Adventist. It's very complex. Yet we do speak, and it is legitimate, to speak of individual personal worldviews and collective worldviews. And they all kind of interact. I hope these colors can help. And what is going on in society, just for those, and I'll end with this, is what is happening right now. Because we have movements which are ecumenical, in essence, un un unity of all churches, all religions, I'm sorry, not churches, that's going on. We have also scientific mind framework paradigm is dominating society, and many Christians are adopting uh, um, evolutionary, uh, theistic evolutionism, or call it evolutionary creationism, and mystical practices in replacement of what we call justification sanctification. That's happening. And mixture and brancher. Today we have live in an age of confusion. Thank, thank you for your patience and this is it for now. <laughs>